What we've got here is failure to communicate. Hello, and thank you for listening to episode 271 of Fallon to Communicate, a podcast all about movies, TV, video games, and mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Bob Fallon, and this week I've got a little bit of everything. All of our four quadrants will be reached in this episode because I've seen some movies, I've seen some TV, played a video game through to the end which i'm excited i was excited to do been a while uh and there's been some mixed martial arts action the past week or so which i previewed ufc 226 on the last episode i want to start off with movies uh didn't go see a movie last week just didn't work out with the fourth of july holiday and all that but uh this week i was able to get out last night actually and see Ant-Man and the Wasp. This is the latest MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, following Avengers Infinity War, starring Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, uh, Kirk Douglas, and Catwoman herself, Michelle Pfeiffer, as well as a few other people, Lawrence Fishburne. Don't gotta go through it all. Directed by Peyton Reed, the follow-up to 2015's Ant-Man. This um, going into this, I enjoyed the first Ant-Man uh, enough. I didn't think it was great. It was a like a light seven and a half out of ten for me. Probably in the bottom tier, middle to bottom tier of the Marvel movies. It was fine. I think it probably would have been a little less safe. If um, Edgar Wright had stuck around to direct it like he was originally contracted to do so. But Peyton Reed did a solid job picking up the pieces. And um, yeah, I thought it was funny uh, with decent action and cool special effects with the shrinking mechanism. And I thought the Ant-Man character was used well in Civil War. And I missed him in uh, Infinity War. I was sad he wasn't in there. Um, people were hoping that Ant-Man and the Wasp would explain his absence, and spoiler alert, it really doesn't. It, uh, it kind of just ignores everything that's going on, uh, touches upon it a little bit in the after credits scene, but still, it's like, I guess you can make guesses, but really, I guess it's just important that they needed somebody that wasn't involved in that to have another movie on the schedule, which this was, um, let's see, yeah, so Ant-Man and the Wasp, I, I enjoyed the movie quite a bit, I thought it was pretty similar to the first Ant-Man as far as quality goes, except I think it probably helped Peyton Reed that he was able to have 
this under his control, you know, outside of the studio, uh, I'm sure had some say in it. But he, it, for him to be a part of the process from the beginning, I think helped a lot. Uh, all the stuff I liked from the first movie was good again here, just a little bit better. I actually thought this was took everything that was good about the first one and just was able to focus on that and make a better movie. Uh, might actually be the funniest movie in the MCU. Uh, Thor Ragnarok's up there. Yeah, that's probably the only other contender that I can think of off the top of my head. Guardians of the Galaxy is up there. But uh, this, I think, had the most consistent laughs throughout. Uh, Of course, Paul Rudd is great as always. He's one of my favorite actors, comedic or otherwise. And I thought he was more comfortable in the role in this movie than in the first one. And I thought he had some better stuff to work with as well. Michael Pena, hilarious, just as he was in the first movie. He's he's a great actor in general, but he's also really, really good at the comedic stuff, which we've I've only discovered more recently as he's received those type of roles. Evangeline Lilly, I thought she was really good as the Wasp, Janet Van Dam, or no, Hope Van Dam, or whatever. Um... Yeah, I really hope she has a bigger role in the Avenger stuff moving forward. I think that's a cool character. Cooler than Ant-Man, honestly. I think maybe if they have a tr- third movie in this series, just call it The Wasp. I think that would be pretty cool. She would be deserving of that. Um, the villain. It's kind of a, a weird mix of Ghost, which you've seen in the trailers a little bit. She's a very cool villain. I guess I just gave away it's a a woman character, but uh a cool concept, cool powers type <laughs> type thing. I say that a lot. Um but underutilized I think a little bit in this movie. I think they could have done more with her character, but they also had a you know, a human quote unquote villain as well. A tech arms dealer, not arms, but uh Someone who deals in technology and uses it for his own good and money and all that cool stuff. Um, The plot itself is whatever. Um, Basically, in the first movie, they explain how Janet, um, who was the original Wasp, had gone missing into the quantum realm. And basically, this whole movie is about them trying to extract her from the quantum realm, see if she's still alive. It's pretty by the books. Nothing really fancy. It's a slight movie. Doesn't really deal with, uh, you know, the world coming to an end. Nothing like that, which I appreciate. But also kind of, it was kind of limited in how great it could be. But like I said before, it just does everything really well. The action is as good, if not better, than the first movie. The special effects, pretty great with the shrinking stuff. Uh, they really use the shrinking, coming back to normal size, going to giant size, all that stuff really well. They, I feel like they really have a grasp on all that. And um, yeah, pretty much it. I would give it a solid 8 out of 10, maybe a, a light to, to a solid 8 out of 10. Like I said, it's a slight movie, but it's just, it's a lot of fun. Don't expect it to blow your mind. Don't expect it to give you the answers that Inf- Infinity War brought up. 
But uh, it's definitely a good placeholder until we get to Captain Marvel in February or March. And then the next Avengers movie next summer. So Ant-Man and the Wasp. Very good movie. I also watched one other movie since I last did one of these. Um, Last Flag Flying. Not a whole lot to say about it. It was a Richard Richard Linklater directed movie, which always has me excited. Uh, it's starring Brian Cranston, uh, Lawrence Fishburne again. <laughs> He's in everything that I watched this week, and Steve Carell. So right there, you're like, wow, Richard Linklater. These actors should be great, and it really was kind of very disappointing for me. It was very middle of the road. Um, Really surprised that Linklater spent this much time on this movie. I don't know. I don't know the inspiration. It just didn't. It seemed like he was directing someone else's script. It was more of a job, and not like a, you know, a passion project or anything like that. So that was disappointing. I'd give it like a a six out of ten. It was just meh. It didn't. wasn't bad. Didn't hate. Wasn't great. As Dax Gordine would say. Okay, moving on to TV. I watched season two of Glow, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, uh, starring Allison Brie, Mark Marin, uh, Betty Gilpin. But uh, I like I liked the first season last year. I liked it enough. I what I really liked about it is that it was half an hour episodes and only uh, ten. I think it's ten half an hour episodes. So it was like easy to binge in a weekend which is always a good thing some of these netflix shows especially when they're an hour long it's just like luke cage season two that came out recently and i enjoyed the first luke cage enough but after one or two episodes of the second season I'm like there's still, it's just it's like middle of the road not really into it and I'm thinking, there's 12, 13, 11 more episodes that I've got to watch of this. I, I just, I can't do it. It's too much of a slog. So I like that you can burn through these. And some of the hour-long stuff is, it's worth it. And you're glad that there's that many episodes. But, uh, yeah, so I like the first season of Glow. But season two, I will say, is even better. Uh, much like Ant-Man and the Wasp, it takes the stuff that was great about the first season and kind of focuses on that and amplifies it. The relationship between Alice and Brie and Betty Gilpin's character. Uh, Mark Maron was great in the first season, but I'm glad he kind of takes a little bit of a backseat here in season two. Still has his moments, but let the actual gorgeous ladies of wrestling take the the forefront. And yeah, it's a very, very solid. And again, it's very nice that it, it's only 10 half an hour episodes. So it was, I burned through it in a weekend and, uh, Enjoyed every minute of it. And oh, this reminds me one other thing <clears throat> I wanted to bring up as I talk about my next show that I watched, which is Bojack Horseman. <laughs> it's a thing that happens with me in Netflix. Maybe it's just the, the binge model and some of its flaws. I watched the first season of Bojack Horseman when it originally aired and watched the whole season pretty quickly in a weekend or a week. Um, and enjoyed it a lot. I liked that show a lot when it first came out, season one. And then by the time season two came around, I watched the first episode. And then I just 
never watched never watched it again until very recently so like three years went by and i'm like man i really like burjack horseman i keep hearing how each season gets better it's still very good why didn't i stop watching it so i went back and i started watching it again i'm like halfway through season three right now and it is very good all the way from where i picked up to now i'm still enjoying it a lot and i'm gonna catch up before the season five comes out later this summer but it just got me thinking about how next netflix shows will do this like narcos is a great example and some of the marvel shows and there's a lot of them where i'll watch the first season and i will like it a lot i'll be totally into it i'll binge it in a weekend or a week or two and and then the next year when season two comes out i'm like oh this show's back yeah i like the first season i should probably watch the second season i'll begrudgingly put on the first episode i'm not excited for it but i i know i would probably like it so i'll put it on and i just can't get into it i watch the first episode say to myself i'll get around to the rest of this and then never do it's exactly what happened with narcos and i know that the second and third seasons got good reviews or like there's no reason for i know i would probably like it if i finished it and i just think maybe it's because you know there's no real i feel like with the, uh, a show that's on hbo or any cable or or network tv it's like there's a build up there's like a lead in for about 3 2 or 3 months before the show even comes back i feel like you start seeing things that get you anticipating its release it's that it's coming back and you can kind of get excited about it so then when it arrives you're like yes let's do this but with netflix and how they have so many shows that come out every week every friday it's like there's no real time to advertise properly that these shows are coming to get you excited so it's just like oh here's this show that i i like the first season of it's back huh interesting it's just sitting right there i didn't really hear anything about it okay i don't know maybe it's also because on a like hbo again westworld or something you're for 10 weeks straight you're anticipating the next episode all week long and then you get to it and then the season's over and you've had 10 weeks of a relationship with the show and with netflix it's like i said a weekend or a week you're in you're out when you're in it it's good when you're out you forget about it you don't have enough time even if it's the same amount of actual screen time watched you don't have weeks of podcasts to listen to to break down the show and just think about it anticipate it so i don't know just the thought that i had been having lately about netflix and hulu and and other type of shows that have stuff that just come out all at once um which is a model i still enjoy but i recognize that there are definitely faults to it um the only other tv i have is big brother season 20 uh it's been a couple weeks with that season i'm not sure if i've talked about it yet i'll be very brief um i think it's (laughs) a really good season so far uh there's been some blind sides some controversy some some real characters i think that's the key here is that casting did a great job of 
there's no real it seems like strategic mastermind maybe tyler but they just picked a lot it's all new people so there's no returning players so and these people are just like characters they're not i don't know um and when that happens when it's all new people characters some people who have no idea what they're doing it allows them to make their own mistakes and learn from them and causes better tv than when there's a couple returning players who can tell you what not to do and kind of keep things by the book with reality tv competition shows you don't want by the book you want chaos you want hecticness you want new things you want to experience new things and uh, that's what we're getting so far it could always change this <laughs> big brother is a long season a lot of times the beginning is the best part so it might settle into a, a boring season like 19 but so it's already better than last season so that is good I will continue to watch that. Maybe check back in. Maybe not. Um, yeah, on the video game front, like I said, I played through it an entire like 15, 20 hour long video game, which I have not had the possibility of doing for quite a while now. Probably like six months, nine months, something like that. This is the first real video game that has been released in 2018 that I've had the chance to play. And it's the highly critically acclaimed God of War for PlayStation 4. And what gave me the opportunity to do this was um, I had off last week and my wife did not, for whatever reason, um, I don't need to get into it, but it wasn't really a vacation so much as I need, there was no one to watch the kids. So I, I took off for the week. She still had to work and I was able to rent God of War from Redbox, just sit at home and... Um, play a lot of this game that whole week and i got through the whole entire story the the main storyline i played it on easy i would say just so i could get through the story in the time that i had but really i would have probably played it on easy anyway and i i'm just not very good at video games and i still died a few times so that's a little embarrassing but the game lives up to the hype it is incredible um I played the very first God of War and enjoyed it. I didn't beat the game, but I played a bit of it. I liked the, the spectacle of it, the the quick time events, the just it's epic. You know, you're this little god character, Kratos, and you're fighting these giant monsters and taking them out and I really liked that about that franchise, at least what I played. But what I like about the new God of War is it takes some of the best elements of all my favorite recent video games and throws in that epic scale of a God of War series. And it takes from Uncharted, where it's it's open world, but it really can, and it did for me, play out as a pretty straightforward story because you can always know where to go next to advance the story. And that's what I like. I just like playing through a game. I don't necessarily get into open world too much. I've talked about it a lot. Because I'll just meander, not know what to do, and then quit. Because I need a mission, an objective. In this game, you can always know where to go. Um, you can, can't can climb on anything. but Or, you know, it, it's very uncharted in that way. Where there's climbing, there's action. Instead of guns, it's an axe. You know, um... And it also throws in some of Horizon Zero Dawn, a great game from last year. And 
the story itself is actually great. It's about like a father-son relationship. And the wife slash mom has passed away. And they the, pretty much the mission of the game is to take her ashes to the highest point in the realm and let the ashes go. And, of course, there's twists and turns and and all kinds of different stuff that happens. But the story is great. It's actually some of the best uh, writing for a story of a video game that I've seen in quite a while. All the god stuff, you know, mentions of Thor and Odin and and all this stuff. You go to different realms. But really what I love about it is it's a button masher at heart as far as the combat. But it's also very... I don't know if I want to say strategic, but I like... There's actual role-playing elements as well, RPG elements, where you do get experience and you do get coins and you can upgrade your equipment and your weapons and your abilities and your skill tree. And I don't know, like the skill tree reminds me of Ori in the Blind Forest. I just really like the progression system and the axe, how you can throw it and bring it back to you at any time. Man, I don't know. Just the gameplay, the graphics are incredible. The menu system, there's really nothing that I didn't like about this game. Um, after I first finished it, I probably would have still said that Uncharted 4 was better. Uh, the Last of Us was better. But it's up there. Um, I think actually with some time... Now it's been about five or six days since I finished it. I, I think I would put God of War ahead of Uncharted 4. I think it might be the best PlayStation 4 game. Because Last of Us, I believe, was PlayStation 3 and then got remastered. I think The Last of Us is still better. But it is right up there. Um, I think it's going to define this generation of consoles. At least be one of the games that does. So that's pretty high praise. If you... I haven't checked it out to this point like I hadn't until recently. I uh, highly recommend it. Um, like I said, it lives up to the hype. Another thing that lived up to the hype, <laughs> well, kind of, for the most part, uh, UFC 226 was Saturday night. Um, I talked about when I did the preview, I might pop on immediately following and do it, like a little review, but... I was too tired to do so, and I don't know. It just didn't work out. Maybe eventually I'll do something like that. But um, I thought the event overall was very good, very fun. Don't regret paying the $65 to watch the pay-per-view, um, even though the co-main event of the night is probably going to be worst fight of the year and is one of the worst fights in UFC history, despite being one of my most anticipated fights in a long time. Um, Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou, for three rounds, they circled each other, stared at each other, <laughs> and did nothing for three straight rounds. Uh, Derek Lewis ultimately wins unanimous decision, but that's just because he threw like five strikes per round <laughs> to Francis Ngannou's two. Ngannou afterwards has said he felt scared because of 
the way he lost to Stipe Miocic, the heavyweight champion at the time in January, and the way he got dominated apparently really messed with him. And also what didn't help was Derek Lewis had a severely injured back and could barely move. So that combination plus like the people, the guys on heavy hands said they're both counterpunchers and they kind of saw this coming. Ah, man, it's so disappointing. But I'm happy Derek Lewis won. Hard to blame him for what happened. Um, Still hope, hope he gets his back figured out. I mean, he's apparently going to Germany to get some stuff done. So if his back can get healthy, I... I love Derek Lewis, and I'd really like to see him have success and get a title shot one day. But speaking of title shots and completely burying the lead, Daniel Cormier defeated Stipe Miocic by knockout in the first round to become the second champ champ in UFC history. He wins the heavyweight belt, already having already the light heavyweight championship. And um, what a moment it was. What a it was a great fight, even though it was less than a round long. It was really good. Both people, people, both fighters had their moments. But uh, it was so impressive to see Cormier. He, he's so strong at, at heavyweight. He's obviously a very good fighter no matter which weight class he's in. But he carries serious power at heavyweight. I don't remember him knocking anyone out at 205, but at heavyweight, he just demolished Stipe, and we've seen, obviously, him withstand some big punches from Francis Ngannou, Alistair Overeem, etc., etc. So, very impressive, and feel good for Cormier after all the stuff he went through against John Jones, which I still believe John Jones is better and will always be better, but it is nice for him to have... He's also one of the best fighters of all time, despite he just got unlucky that he was in the weight class at the the same time as someone who was better, you know. <laughs> Probably the best fighter of all time, John Jones, as long as he can come back and continue fighting to his uh, previous capacity. But Cormier, he wins his second belt. He's retiring in March. So they bring out Brock Lesnar <laughs> to face off against him and set up a huge super fight uh, which apparently is going to happen at, at least in January, if not a little bit later, because that's when Brock can be cleared to fight again after his previous steroid test positive. But that is a huge fight, figuratively and literally. Uh, it will do great, pay-per-view-wise. I mean, I, re- I know a lot of people complained that it was too WWE afterwards, but I had a lot of fun with it. I just thought it was great theater. Of course, it was probably planned out ahead of time, at least to an extent. But I didn't care because it was like you could tell Cormier was having so much fun with it. I I just thought it did a great job of building up that fight, potentially. Uh, So look forward to that. Mike Perry defeated Paul Felder by split decision. Great fight. Great bloody war. I mean, both of these guys going back and forth. Could have went either way. In my eyes, I scored it for Felder, but can't complain with Perry getting the the win here. It seemed like most people thought Perry won, so I could just be off on what I thought. Uh, big win for Mike Perry. He had lost two in a row, and Paul Felder was a tough fight. Like I said on the prediction show, I I clearly thought Felder was going to win. And I, this was a big surprise for me that Perry was able to fight as well as, as he did. And uh, 
it's good. It's good for the division that he did because he's a character. He's got potential, you know, star power and stuff like that. Uh, Anthony Pettis, Showtime's back. He submitted Michael Chiesa with the triangle choke slash armbar in the round, second round. Um, yeah, Pettis looked great. Chiesa missed weight, was going through a lot to even get to the cage uh, leading up to the fight. But Pettis looked like him old self, his old self. He uh, he was piecing him up with strikes, kicks, punches, going for different submissions until he finally got one. And uh, really hope this is a sign of things that that he's not going to be in, stuck in his own head so much and trying to just prevent people from wrestling him to the ground all the time now and he'll just let loose and and be the guy that got him the the championship in the first place. It's been a long time coming. Still only 31 years old, so let's see what he can do. Khalil Roundtree shocked, maybe not shocked the world, but he had an upset defeating Gokan Saki by knockout in the first round. It only took him 96 seconds to put down the kickboxing stalwart. So that was that was impressive. Don't know exactly what it says about Roundtree's future, but huge win for him. He might have been cut with a loss there. Paula Costa defeated Uriah Hall by TKO in the second round. Awesome, awesome fight. Uh, Paula Costa is an animal. Um, Uriah Hall looked great in this fight. This is as good as I've seen him maybe ever. He was throwing a jab that I don't remember seeing in any of his fights a great little jab just popping Costa at will basically but it just wasn't enough to uh, prevent Costa from charging in hitting him with power shots and he finally wore him out it lo- actually it was a pretty crazy finish where Hall hit Costa and looked like he was going to knock him out he was pretty out of it for a second there but was able to just fire back and get the knockout of his own like 20 seconds later so that was really impressive Paul Acosta living up to the hype so far in his career really excited to see what happens next maybe he fights Israel Adesanya who did great in the tough 27 finale against Brad Tavares another potential star in the middleweight division I think it would be better if the UFC continued to build him up separately for now because middleweight's not exactly a deep division but uh, either way, nice to have some fresh blood coming up the ranks there at 185. Rafaela Sunsau defeated Rob Font by unanimous decision. <laughs> it was exactly what I'm sure everyone knew was going to happen. Uh, Sunsau, he is the guy. He's He wins boring fights, and he stifles dynamic fighters and makes them... Um, look bad in ugly fights and wins close decisions but this one wasn't exactly close but that's pretty much what happened here so another big win for him i'm sure he will continue to not get title shots dracker close defeated lando venata by decision very impressive performance by close here he's really coming along as a prospect and also really disappointing for lando venata still a fun fighter to watch this was a good fight but he, it just seems like he's become predictable. Everyone knows what he's going to do now. And it seems like he really needs to develop some other aspects of his game if he wants to advance his career. Curtis Millinder defeated Max Griffin by unanimous decision. Um, this was a fun fight. Uh, Max Griffin won the first round. It looked like he was going to pull off the upset. But Millinder was able to really keep his distance in the stand-up uh, in the second and third rounds. And... 
and did the job. He did what he what he had to do to get the win. He's a developing prospect as well in welterweight, and this was a good fight and a good win for him. Dan Hooker defeated Gilbert Burns by knockout in the first round, and this I didn't see this fight, but from what I hear and just the facts that uh, he knocked out Gilbert Burns in the first round, very impressive. Uh, he's continued to develop at since he moved up to lightweight. At featherweight, I thought he was just a filler, UFC filler, and uh, basically just a guy who's going to win one, lose one, win one, lose one. Since he moved up to lightweight, I believe he's undefeated, and he's been very impressive uh, while doing so. So hopefully he gets a step up in competition. In his next fight, Emily Whitmire defeated Jamie Moyle by decision. That's a surprise to me. I thought Moyle was clearly the better fighter, but I don't really care about either of them. So let's look ahead to this weekend's card in Boise, Idaho. Uh, it's Junior Dos Santos versus Blagoy Avanov is the main event. But before we get to that, let's go all the way down to the bottom of the card. Uh, first, before I get to that, actually, it's a pretty solid card for a fight night event. Uh, one of the better ones, I believe. It's not just one of these where there's a, a good fight at the top, like uh, Till Wonderboy or Usman Maya, and then a bunch of like nothing underneath this, actually some pretty solid fights all throughout here so let's get to it jessica aguilar is facing off against jody escabel this was a fight that was supposed to happen a month ago or so but i think the new york maybe it was ufc 223 but the new york state athletic commission pulled the fight because i think aguilar had uh herpes on her lip or something like that they said chap lips i think they were trying to be uh uh nice about it but um move to here um Solid fight. Jessica Aguilar used to be the pound-for-pound best in the division like four or five years ago. Um, She's had some trouble in her UFC career so far. And Jody Escabel lost Karolina Kowalkiewicz last time out. She's a decent fighter. I think she's fighting at a team alpha male. I could be wrong about that. But um, close fight. I think I'll go with Aguilar by decision just based off of pedigree. Next up, Mark De La Rosa against Elias Garcia. Not going to lie, don't really know anything about either of them. Seems like Garcia is the favorite um, 4-0 against De La Rosa's 9-1. I'll just say Garcia by submission. That's what I went with in my fantasy fighting league. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Don't really care about that fight. Next up is a fight I am very interested in. It's Jennifer Maya making her... UFC debut after winning and defending the Invicta Women's Flyweight Championship belt. Um, I've I've watched a few of her fights over at Invicta and been impressed. And she's making her UFC debut against Liz Carmouche, former the first uh, title challenger against Ronda Rousey and her speeder uh, for the UFC bantamweight women's bantamweight title, and has since come down to flyweight and I think she lost to Alexis Davis in her first fight down there at 125 but um still a tough out it's a good test for for Maya in her debut 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 I think if she wins she could be right there in title contention or can you know one fight away I think uh the invictive flyweight belt is just as valuable if not more, than the UFC's, right? at least right now, until Valentina Shevchenko gets a hold of it. So, that's cool. Um, Rayoni Barcelos 
was fighting Kurt Hullabaugh. I think Hullabaugh was a standout on Dana White's Contender Series last season. If I'm not mistaken, um, don't really know anything about Barcelos, but uh, interested to see if Hullabaugh um, can live up to the hype. In his last fight, he lost to Matt Bissett, but it was, oh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I just heard good things about Kurt Hullabaugh, and uh, I'm interested to see him fight even though he hasn't fought in about a year. So we'll see what happens. Next up, we have Khabib Nurmagomedov's cousin, Saeed Nurmagomedov, I believe making his UFC debut against Justin Scoggins, a one-time prospect in the flyweight division and bantamweight division, but who constantly comes up short uh, and just makes mental mistakes and, and fails to live up to the hype. So I wouldn't consider him a prospect anymore, but I would consider Saeed, 11-1, coming in. Um, We'll see. Obviously, his cousin is very talented, and he's got a cousin in the PFL right now who's hyped. So see if he's got the same uh, wrestling skills as his uh, cousin. Next up is a a really great fight. It's crazy that this is on the prelims, but since it's on FS1, they're prelims and main card all on the same channel all at once, so it doesn't really matter. But Alex Volkanovsky getting a, a step up in competition against Darren Elkins, who's on a nice winning streak in the featherweight division. Volkanovsky, 17-1, big-time prospect. Just demolished Jeremy Kennedy in his last fight at UFC 221 in Australia. And um, the guy's a beast. He's a great wrestler, great uh, at punishing you on the ground, on the feet and on the ground, and relentless, tough guy, great chin. And obviously we know Darren Elkins has an incredible chin and and toughness and durability. Uh, We saw him with his incredible comeback against Mursad Bektic. He's king comeback. He'll, He'll take a beating in the first round or two and then let you get tired and finish you or just wrestle you. Uh, he's really a gatekeeper in my mind and a, not exactly an exciting fighter all the time, but a true test. If Volokhanovsky can win, he definitely catapults himself into the top 10. And if Elkins keeps winning, he, I mean, he's kind of in a Hafiel Sunsail position, except he's not as talented, but he should be more closer to the title picture than this fight booking suggests. But regardless, it should be fun. Next up is Eddie Wineland against Alejandro Perez at the, in the Bantamweight division. And this is a fun fight. Perez is the prospect here against the veteran who's on the downside of his career in Wineland. And I think he should take care of business and continue his ascent into the, you know, important fights at, in at 135. So I'll go Perez by uh, decision. Women's UFC women's bantamweight division is super weak, has almost no title contenders anywhere near uh, making a case. So good thing we have Marion Renault against Kat Zingano here to try and get some momentum going in that direction. Uh, Renault is an older fighter. I believe she's 40 or 41, but she's a really good striker, stand-up boxer type uh, fighter and Katzingano obviously a bigger name but uh, coming off some layoffs and some losses she lost to Caitlin Vieira who is probably 
the number one contender if there is one it, uh, women's bantamweight so Zingano needs a win Renault's got the the streak win streak going right now I'll take Renault by decision and I think she will maybe she would then fight Vieira to see who's the next title challenger while uh, Nunez fights Cyborg we shall see Probably the most interesting fight of the weekend is next with uh, Chad Mendez making his return from a two-year steroid suspension against Miles Jury, who was on a bit of a win streak himself um, after he uh, faltered a little bit. Very interesting. Um, pretty tough test for a guy who's been away for two years to come back to you, but if he can pass... And I believe he will if he's anything like his old self. I think the last time he fought he got was when he got knocked out by Frank Yeager. Um, then he should... I mean, he's almost like a fresh name in the new featherweight division. It's A lot has changed since since he left. Um, at the time, I believe it was... You know, it's in, you know Aldo and McGregor and Frankie Edgar up at the top. Edgar's still around there, but you got Holloway, Ortega... Plenty of fresh matchups to make for him now if he can get this win, get right back into title contention. And I think he will. But Miles Jury, he's got a big opportunity here himself. If he can beat Chad Mendez, that's a huge win uh, on his resume, and he can continue his streak into relevancy. Next up is a fun fight with two prospects, Randy Brown and Nico Price in the welterweight division. Um, Randy Brown coming off the win over Mickey Gall. And Nico Price coming off a win over George Sullivan. Um, yeah, and both of these guys have had um, losses in the UFC, so they've each had they've been prospects, but they've it, it's nice that they've each been checked by a by a better fighter. Nico Price lost to Vicente Luque, who I think is great and I'm a big fan of. And Randy Brown lost to Bilal Muhammad, which is, he's a very, very tough fighter. So they've been checked before and they've come back from those losses and each gotten a win. And I think this is a a great fight, great matchmaking between two guys that are in similar places in their career. And whoever can win this can take the next step and the other one will have to regroup again. But uh, I think I'm going to go with Randy Brown by knockout. Um... I just like this guy. He reminds me of Curtis Millinder in the sense that he's got the reach and the, the striking ability. So I think he'll be able to keep Price at the in his range and win either a decision or a knockout. Dennis Bermudez versus Rick Glenn is up next. And <laughs> Dennis Bermudez, for a while, looked like he was going to be a new challenger in the featherweight division. But he his style is so... He takes so much damage with his style, and I think it's really starting to catch up to him. Ever since he went on a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven fight win streak from 2012 to 2014, he has lost five of his last seven fights. So he's two and five in his last seven with losses to Ricardo Lamas, Jeremy Stevens. Chan Sung Jung, Darren Elkins, and Andre Feely. And obviously that's some very tough competition in the division. And his only wins are against Hani Jason and Tetsui Kawajiri. Um, Yeah, that's tough. I just think he's only 31, but his style has just been so lacking defense. 
and he's he's been in some brutal fights, and I think it's catching up to him. I I wouldn't be surprised if he lost here and was Bellator bound soon. Maybe not after this fight. If he loses this and then loses another one, I don't know. I think he's on the downside of his career. Unfortunately, he's a fun fighter to watch though. And uh, Rick Glenn, very solid fighter, coming off a loss as well. Let me see who it was to. I can't remember off the top of my head. Might be Miles Jury. Yes, it is. Good memory, me. Yeah, he lost to Miles Jury, which is nothing to sneeze out. He's got wins over Gavin Tucker, Philippe Nover. Tucker was pretty uh, big prospect coming into that fight, and he beat him down. So, I think Rick Glenn is gonna is gonna put a number on Bermudez here and beat him solidly over three rounds for a decision win. Um, we shall see. Co-main event, Sage Northcutt. <laughs> Back again. Super Sage against Zach Otow. Otal. Atto. Atow. Atto? Uh, Zach. Zach Attack. Uh, Sage Northcutt, still only 22 years old. And while he has not looked great every time out, you can see the progress being made. I think he's at a good place to team Alpha Male. Uh, back-to-back wins after his loss to Mickey Gall against Michael Cajones and Tibalt Gaudi. Obviously, and Zach Atel here, they're, they're being smart now. I feel like they were rushing him at first. Now they're actually giving him some winnable fights against some solid but not great guys like um, Zach Atel. He retired Mike Powell in his last fight, but he's he is... One, two, three. Three and two in the UFC. He he wins one, he loses one, he wins one, he loses one, and he's due for a loss. As long as Sage is still making these incremental improvements, he's got the skills and the ability to win this fight and win his third in a row. Which brings us to the main event: Junior Dos Santos versus Blagoy Ivanov. Which is a fun heavyweight fight. Um, Ivanov is making his UFC debut. After coming over from World Series of Fighting slash PFL, Professional Fighters League. I'm going to be honest, I haven't seen him a lot. I haven't seen him fight many times. But he's he's on a three... Oh, no, not three. Uh, Five-fight win streak over Cal Alan Carr, Sean Jordan, Josh Copeland, Derek Maiman, Smalino, Rama. I've heard of three of those people. He's got a win over LeVar Johnson... Uh, his only loss is to Alexander Volkov, who is in title contention here in the UFC. So that's that's pretty. Uh, that's not that damaging. Uh, he's fought in Bellator and, like I said, in World Series of Fighting PFL. So clearly, talented guy. I guess this this will clearly be outside of Volkov the toughest test of his career. Um, and if he can beat JDS, which is not the feat that it once was. But still a big name, a top five or seven fighter in the heavyweight division. He can uh, come in uh, big and uh, put himself into title contention right away. So uh, we'll see how he looks. As for JDS himself, he's coming off the title loss to Stipe Miocic over a year ago when he lost by TKO in the first round. Um, Before that, he beat Ben Rothwell by decision. Yeah, man. He is just not fighting a lot. He only has, over the past one, two, four years, he's got four fights. Four fights over the past four and a half years. Um, 
Yeah, he's not been active. He lost to Alistair Overeem by knockout and Stipe. Ah, it's unfortunate. JDS at one time was looking like he could be up there with Cain Velasquez as far as best current and maybe all-time heavyweights, and he's just not been the same since those Cain Velasquez fights. But uh, we'll see. He's obviously still a solid fighter. This is uh, an important fight in the heavyweight division, but overall I think this card is just... It's filled with really solid fights, even the ones that aren't particularly important in their divisions are at least going to be fun, uh, exciting, close matchups. So looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to this long rambling episode of Found to Communicate, where we were in all four quadrants of our topics, which it was pretty cool. But uh, all right. Thank you for listening. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Fallon to Pod Cast Fa- at Fallon to Pod. Anyway, I'm on Twitter at Fallon to Tweet. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Anchor FM. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.